0: Hello, I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is My Wardrobe Malfunction, the podcast where we start talking about clothes, but nothing, and I mean nothing, is off limits. This is episode 55. If you've heard them all, thank you and congratulations. You deserve a bloody diamond encrusted coat hanger. If this is your first ever episode and you like it, then please check out the others where you'll hear the Reverend Richard Coles on security checks, Steph McGovern on jumpsuits, and Jeremy Vine on ratchets. But on to today's special guest, who is an award-winning broadcaster, presenter on Women's Hour and Newsnight, and the author of It's About Bloody Time, period, which is out in paperback next week. It's the formidable and adorable Emma Barnett. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Right, today I'm with someone who I've been speaking to and looking at for about 15 minutes because surprisingly this woman seems to be a little bit thick when it comes to (laughs) getting her audio sorted and that is a surprise because I'm with Emma Barnett today who is, as you know, uh, multi-award winning broadcaster, Emma, um, Woman's Hour presenter and all-round bloody chief interrogator. How are you? I can't wait to be interrogated by you, Susanna. You better be good. No, I'm just—I'm a pussycat. I should be scared, but the thing is to interview you because you are. I, I think you probably batter a boxing bag before you interview most people, but I know your—I know a few of your secrets surrounding tights, pantyhose. So I've got a few little things up my up my sleeve. I was going to say
1: to correct the record here: there are different types of interviews, and you've been on. My show before on Five
0: Live and on Woman's Hour. there was no battering or no you know boxing involved, was there? None. And Emma, you were I, I don't know I I kind of went public about being an alcoholic. Hello, my name is Susanna, and I'm an alcoholic. And I did that with you, Emma. And I remember I sent you a message beforehand saying I'm nervous and uh, very nervous about doing this. And you were so empathetic and understanding. And it, I could not have done it with a better person because you were smart, um, gentle, but you asked all the right questions, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. As were a lot of people who um, came back from from hearing the interview.
1: Well, no, talking about that is, I imagine, incredibly hard, and you know this platform that we have we're doing it you know on on a podcast now or whatever the platform it's a a very special place people have got to to trust that they can say what they're trying to say and my job is to to get that out of course you obviously talk to other people one talks to other people whose job is to come up with a different range of things that they're not wanting to say so that's part of the differences but I think with your case and, and others that I've spoken to the first time they've ever sort of I think there's something about saying something for the first time, not just writing it. You're obviously a writer. And I think hearing it in your own voice and knowing other people are going to hear it is completely different.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And, And I think, you know, it's choosing the right person to do that with and you with your pink lipstick, the right person. I just like to say it's
1: because it's, um, I can on this. This is the only podcast I think I've ever done where I'm going to talk about fashion or clothes. Mm. I've never done this before. It's Costa Chic. It's coral, actually. So I think you Oh, it's coral. Coral. And you always wear
0: that coral colour, don't
1: you? Coral or a pale pink. I've worn the same lipstick for 10, maybe 15 years. I don't know how. Long.
0: Could it be time for a change?
1: <laughs> always. <laughs>
0: Can I be bothered? No, I have <laughs> no. a uniform. <laughs> yeah. But you look fantastic. Emma is wearing a kind of emerald green sweater, a woolly, with a really beautiful lace white collar. And looks like it could be from U-Turk. And Ooh. it's so nice. You look really stunning.
1: Thank you. I actually can't remember. I think it might be from... Mango
0: or Zara, okay. it's not from u but good guess, yeah. that sounds like a good brand, don't know It's a very good brand, check it out, they do really nice stuff and good for you when you're only seen from um, Boobs Up they have a lot of interesting collar action going on, so it's good So um, my darling, when you, you're interviewing people do you think about what you're going to wear in accordance to who you're going to be speaking to? Typically, no. So I also work on, I present
1: news nights. once Exactly. Week, and yeah. Being your whole body is actually in vision for that, which was a, a surprise to a radio presenter. Uh, because obviously on the radio now, as you will have experienced with me, uh, we're all on webcams like we are now. So nothing is without vision unless obviously people request or they have to remain anonymous. So um, I don't think I do necessarily for the interviewee. except there have been other there have been particular occasions where you would think about it for instance when I first interviewed the Prime Minister when it was Theresa May I should add Mm. I have yet to interview Boris Johnson and I went to Downing Street and I thought I don't want to detract in any way and I do like bold colours and and all that sort of stuff but I don't want to not you know looked like me and the reason I remember even this apart from the fact that I you know been planning I think I had three interviews planned depending on the types of answers she gave you know you sort of plot it like a map and um, the reason I remember this is because a, a younger woman came up to me afterwards in the toilet where all good conversations happen and said I can't believe you interviewed the prime minister in a leather jacket it was so cool and I was like I, I did not interview the prime minister <laughs> in a leather jacket, what are you talking about? And then I realized exactly to your point, only this bit of me could be seen. I wore a black dress with a very cool bottom that no one ever saw, but I wore a black blazer over it with pleather sleeves. And it was my nod to not being too formal and not a correspondent, etc. And I did wear a bit of a rough necklace thing, a little like Elizabethan style, rough, like a modern take on it. And I just thought, oh, that's all she could see. So it does look like I've been super casual and trotted off to Downing Street in a leather jacket, which was not the case. Interestingly, though, I think it made
0: her watch it,
1: which is the power
0: of visuals. Power of visuals. And it's, yeah, it's so... um, I hadn't actually... That hadn't really resonated before, the fact that, you know, radio is now visual. And I wonder if that's, you know, since lockdown, and I wonder if that's going to stay the same, if that will continue. Well, I think when people were doing it before... Um, but it's so much more now because
1: you're in your home and so everybody can see everything from the Mm. guest's point of view. I mean, I really hope we get back to being in person. Just it's so much better to see somebody, especially again with your example, I would have loved it if we'd actually been together and I could have, there are things that you do to help when somebody's talking and they're finding it difficult. Um, And so I think the the visual element is very upsetting to some people. You know, they want it pure. They don't want to see. And I, I have learned also that my expressions, because I've always been on radio, <laughs> are envisioned, And there have been many moments where that has been, you know, when someone's talking, and let's say it's a politician or someone who I'm holding to account, I'll be going. Because <laughs> I, I just don't understand what they're saying. Sorry, I should describe that. I am frowning and gesticulating, if you can't see me, <laughs> if this isn't the clip that
0: you choose. So uh, I've learned that in the hard way. Okay. And going back to Boris Johnson, who you've yet to interview, do you think he appreciates, I think this is the case, that the the, the perception that the female interviewee, interviewers are tougher than men. Do you think that's the case? That generally... I th- is that I, the, I, do you think that is the perception? Well, yeah, I think women have more balls. <laughs> because <laughs> I think because the the sort of testosterone doesn't get in the way. So there's a there's a clarity and a truth which is more forceful than when a man speaks to another man. Very interesting. I mean, I think, I think there's some pretty tough, there's pretty tough interviews across,
1: interviewers across the board. But I I think the the idea that you are masculine, if you do that, is very frustrating. So the idea that you are a certain, you should be a The thing that gets me most frustrated is when we put women in boxes. You know, she's this, she's that. Uh, Emma, you know, is a a Rottweiler, whatever it is. And then I'll do an interview. I don't know. I remember talking to Maureen Littman about the fact she was recently widowed after Prince Philip passed away. Uh, And, you know, somebody said on the radio, on that feedback programme on Radio 4, has someone... Oh, sorry, the question was, I think by the presenter, giving him a bit of feedback, has someone had to train Emma? on empathy and warmth, because the idea that a woman couldn't go from being harder to softer, and I find things like that incredibly patronising.
0: That's outrageous, but it's it's all around us. It's still there, isn't it? It's still there, and it's something we're all having to not fight, but kind of deal with, because... Well, you're, either, want... you're either a bitch or you're nice. Yeah, exactly. Why can't... Well, it's the same with an alcoholic. You know, you're either one of the boys or you're an easy lay or a bad mother you know it's we have all these tags but um who has been the most frightening person you've interviewed not necessarily uh, a media one it could be a job or something else what's what's the most frightening interview slash meeting you've ever had
1: oh well, I, I remember going to interview Yoko Ono for Woman's Hour when I was starting mm. out for Woman's Hour when I was 26 or so and it was a bit of a test for me and it was a pre-recorded item. It was in her hotel room, and she, and she, like me, is always cold. I believe so. It was boiling in there. I was thrilled, but I did start to sweat quite quickly for other reasons, uh, because the answers were monosyllabic, and I had to come back with something. So you know, when it's live, you almost make a virtue of awkwardness. You have to if it's not going well. Um, I'm sure there are other experiences that are not on not on air, but this actually. A lot of that was on the cutting room floor, so no one will know about it. And I remember thinking, how on earth am I going to get from this one-word answers to anything? And it was about, I believe, a music festival she was doing with her son. So I had a very handy ace up my sleeve, which was that I was, for the very first time, going to Japan on my travels a few weeks later. And I just thought, right, scrap the interview. Where should I eat? And she just opened up and we were in business. But I was sweating really hard for a
0: really long time and was quite worried that there were just going to be yes and nos but that's you see that if if I'd been in your situation which I I could never deem to be because you know you are the goddess of broadcasting but please keep this I would probably (laughs) would have I think in that situation I would have just lied and said I'm going to japan (laughs) have you ever done that to make put someone at ease to say oh yeah well you know that's happened to me or or told a little white lie to put someone at ease i don't know that i have i'm you know i'm sure in some conversations with people Mm. not
1: necessarily on air i must have done things to make them Mm. feel they can perhaps tell me but i think you have to be really careful in my job not to lie yeah no obviously obviously i mean i know what you mean it's like it's Mm. things like trying to. To put yourself in that place, um, but I think because we're so we're so available now for for scrutiny, you know, we've got to sort of be how we are. And I think what what I meant about my expressions on radio or things like that is I am very similar off air as I am on air, and those that's very helpful. There's not an there's not an act. And I think weirdly, you know, I didn't I did study politics at university, but just as a, just as a thought on that. I think what, why I ended up perhaps cutting through with some of my political interviews, really, especially around the height of the Brexit storms and the endless, it seemed, amount of elections we had for three years and, and things changing at the top was because I was just reacting. I didn't mm-hmm. understand. And I think that's actually apparently one of the things my producers you know hear me say the most. I'm just trying to understand. And I think if you put yourself in that position, you end up being... Very real, most of the time, maybe too real. I don't know.
0: Have you always been upfront about maybe not having all the answers or all the right questions? yeah, I think I think if you think you have to know absolutely everything, you're always going to come
1: unstuck, and I think it's really important to get really comfortable with saying when you don't understand things, and I think when I was younger, I would have found that harder in some ways, perhaps you know, because you want to be on it and you want to know things. Um, also, you are often in my job having conversations, not just with politicians, with, I don't know, CEOs of, of organisations or whatever it is, where they are coming with their expertise and our team, whether it's on Women's Hour Newsnight or Five Live, have had to brief me, have had to prep me for things. So you're learning about lots of subjects all the time. And But I think if you retain that, you you are human, you're like the listener, you're like the viewer. So. I often have done it, I think, where I, I think it, it it's not deliberately designed to drip pe- trip people up, but people are surprised mm. by it. I also think we live in a world with social media where you're not allowed to be wrong ever. You're not yeah. allowed to change your view ever. And mm. I think that's really dispiriting and quite worrying, to say the least, for people coming up through education, that you can't get anything wrong and you'll be hauled over hot rocks forever if you make a mistake or if you have a viewpoint that perhaps you then evolve from.
0: No, it's I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's endemic in every area of society, so it's really worrying. But is there is there any time when because you you do come across as being a very strong person? Are there things that make you feel vulnerable
1: on air or in life or
0: generally? In, sorry, or in, in life, li- generally, <laughs> in life. I mean, what's your what's your weak spot? Where's your Achilles' heel that I can prod? Um, well, I mean, anything to do with my husband
1: and my son is obviously mm. very sensitive. I mean, I'm quite unwell a lot, right? So, so mm. you know, if you talk about Achilles heel and strength and weaknesses and all those things, uh, I'm unwell for a good week of every month. With is that your endometriosis? endometriosis? yeah. 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 So with my condition of the, of the womb. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite, it's not that, well, definitely I'm more vulnerable because I'll literally be impaired some days uh leaning to the side or 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 unable to walk very easily but I'm also very frustrated by that you know I think anyone who lives with either chronic pain or very regular pain or discomfort you don't like being a broken record you you don't want to say um I don't feel very well and I I think and I know we're going to talk about fashion or we'll talk about whatever and I know Mm. we're talking also because I've got the paperback of the book out. Mm. And it's about bloody time period to so get that title mm. in there for you.
0: I was just about to bring it up. I know, yes.
1: uh, but I, um, I was going to say that I think the thing that I have changed on, which I explored when writing the book and talked to lots of different people, mm. is I used to see uh, illness or pain or weakness as as that as weak you mm-hmm. know as 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 vulnerable as all of those things and i would never want to show it and i actually work a lot lots of women can't with my condition but i i can most of the time work i very rarely have a sick day because i find my job's hugely distracting for my brain when i'm in pain but i've really changed with that because you've got to be really really hard to live and exist with this condition which you know one in one in 10 women have at least could be even more you know i was on a shoot the other day um doing a piece for the about the book Mm. and three of the seven people on the shoot had endometriosis and Mm. we talked all about fertility issues we talked all about it you know it's not uncommon and you've Mm. got to live with that so i've gone from being like never show weakness don't let a chink in the armor because i'm living with something that's been my way to cope but equally i've changed my view
0: Mm. but it's so interesting i i have i read your book and um Do you you call it period, it's about bloody time, or it's about bloody time, period? Because I feel it's about bloody time, period, is better than the other one. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Let's go with that. That's what I do. And I... It's funny, because I was... When I I started reading it, I was that person going, oh, God, I can't... Is she really writing? Oh, my God, and... and the woman who, you know, nearly went to jail through not talking about... Her, I mean, oh, uh, and then you've the line about you, you know, what it was like in sort of medieval times and women before they invented knickers and they would just drop their... You know, there'd be drops of blood on the pavement. And if the dog following them was lucky enough, there'd be a clot. And I was literally nearly sick in my mouth. And then... <laughs> yeah, go on. I was very... Um, What's the word a judgmental about it? I was thinking this this just is no it's and I'm a very open person, and we'll talk about most things. but the more I got into it, it was a fascinating um be hugely important because I had no idea the implications, you know both politically, financially, the um, period of poverty in this country, and it was it's a very Important piece of work, but I did start out as that kind of you know, biased, sort of you know, stuck up, not stuck up in a snobbish way, but sort of buttoned up person thinking this is just too much. So it's a really amazing piece of work, I've got to say. Well, that's very, I mean,
1: I think somebody said to me, which I think maybe it will be where you were coming from, I didn't know I needed to read a book, a whole book about this until I didn't realize, until I realized I did, in the sense of. And I didn't know all the stories before. I didn't know if there was a book in it, but I knew I wanted to do something because of talking about it and getting such a reaction. And that something so regular, you know, that happens to most women most months uh, for not most of their lives now, because we're living longer, but but for a significant part of their lives is still so disgusting to them a lot of the time. Never mind anyone else. Um, And I think, you know, there's there's a stat in there about, the huge number of women it was a study through NHS England who are living also with discomfort in that area of their body whether it's to do with bladder whether it's to do with having sex whether it's to do with pain and I myself didn't get diagnosed till I was 31 with with my condition and I always had this sinking feeling I knew when perhaps we would start trying for a child that something wasn't right with me and I had failed to get answers so I think there's a whole and there's lots of funny things as well mm. you know you mentioned the lady nearly went to jail for her period i mean that is one of those stories because she's tragic too mm. yeah there's a tragedy to it that she would rather like get locked up for stealing a bloodstained mm. set bed sheets than admit to the copper what she was doing but it, it it has been very shrouded and there is there are lots of people who will say well i don't need to talk about it that's fine but it's reserving the right to do so if you need that's the point and it's also seeking help if you need some help and also just acknowledging this is not what my book does, but there's other books like Period by Maisie Hill who, and others like that that talk about using, knowing your cycle a bit better to know when you've got lots of energy and when you've not and mm. and trying to work to that. And I think it's really interesting that since I wrote the book, um, football teams, ladies' football teams, are now using their cycles a bit more, knowledge of the cycles to play their their players in a better way perhaps rather than what Annabelle Croft talks about, which is the periods like mm. The Last Taboo in tennis, because they were given drugs to suppress their periods for years, which had side effects. You know, the reason mm. there isn't a male pill is because every time they put men into a trial for it, men say, oh, I can't hack that, I feel sick. Well, try taking hormones for most of your life as a woman, and you do it because you don't want a baby. I mean, mm. the irony with me is I couldn't bloody have one naturally, mm. so, you know. Um, but the, the, the point is... We, we accept a lot and you know even with AstraZeneca and the, the concerns very valid concerns about clots you know tiny tiny uh numbers but still got to make sure people know about it but the risks that women have been accepting with the pill are far yeah. higher for years and mm. then you get onto HRT and then you get onto what happens when you have your menopause so yeah there's a lot
0: but I think also with um this but you know there's so much written about now um menopause you know everyone is banging on about menopause uh and i do mean that in a slightly derogatory way because i i it's kind of you know that's the bandwagon that i do feel a lot of women are jumping on for for probably for the right reasons but there is nothing for young young girls there's nothing like this and it's so so i've given my book to both my daughters of course they've got their period now but I kind of wish that there was something, I, I, what I want you to do. Okay, here's the thing. I would love you to um, write a book, basically condense what you've written in this one, but for pre-teens
1: to read. So I'm definitely happy to give a shout-out to Chela Quint, who's a period mm-hmm. educator, who's works in British schools. And also there's another book, and um, I think it's by, by Saskia, on Hassan, that's awful. But they are targeting that age group, and I okay. think more is coming. And I think that's really important.
0: So important, and it's just—I mean, I, for one, I—I I never spoke to my daughters about their period. Not because I f- didn't feel I had to, or I was embarrassed, but they all talk about it with each other. But then, you know, there are issues, there have been times when things have gone, haven't been quite right or there have been, you know, long gaps in between. They don't understand why. But, you know, and they're lucky they've got a mother who's open about this, these things. But so many women still find it incredibly difficult to speak about. Yeah. And then I think also you inherit a lot from from your mum and things might be getting
1: better. But I remember meeting someone out when we were doing the, the book tour with the hardback in, in Brighton, I believe it was. and she said. My mom, who was really modern, had a great job. Um, used to tell me to take my waste, as she called it, you know, for you know, dirty tampons or whatever used tampons okay, yeah. um, from when if I stayed at a friend's house, not to ever put it in the bin because obviously that's a huge thing when you're not in your own home. Where do I yeah. bloody put this? Literally, um, and and you know, she was having to like create this little bag of um you know her waist and 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 like hide it and then take it home with her and it it did inculcate feelings of huge shame not least also oh my gosh I've got to hide this while I'm in this
0: (laughs) I did exactly the same not because I was advised to but I'd go and stay at people's houses and I'd I had my period and I would take a little plastic bag to put my used tampons in i did exactly the same
1: well i think lots of people will and there's not necessarily an issue with that i think it's when I suppose, I suppose the point of the story is she was told by her mum it was so filthy it, the shame you attached, can't yeah. actually leave it or like i met another woman who told me that she's working with hotels and the the ceo of a major hotel brand she wouldn't tell me which one has refused to put uh, free tampons or sanitary towels into the bathroom, but still insists on a Bible and the comb and the sewing kit, because she, he thought that the tampons would really put off people. I mean, who needs to sew? I mean, yes, okay, sewing kit's occasionally important, but, but that versus a sanitary towel would be quite useful in the toilet. And, and I do say in the book, but I mean it, you know, genuinely, if men had periods, toilet roll wouldn't be the only thing that was free. It's so true. It's
0: so true. The fact that we've we've got a whole industry shouldn't even exist in in many ways. It's insane, and all the tax that goes with it. And there's something like incredible in what is it in America? There are only only ten states in America where um, sanitary wear isn't taxed. Is that right? Some mad statistic like
1: that. Slightly up now. They are in campaign mode and. You know, there was a, an American senator that I wrote about who put through actually providing sanitary towels for his female guests in his office and female staff, put it through on the the expenses just like you would with whatever else, Lou Roland. Mm. And um, he was told that was not an essential item and he was not allowed to claim, his office were not allowed to claim for it. And he did bless him, go on social media and, and say, how is this not, an? Es-? you know, even I know this is an essential item you know you try telling that to any of the women who had to use any of this stuff in the loop so i mean we're in a very odd space but sometimes it takes people to come and redesign the world with women involved to actually see the gaps there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care Post your free job on
0: linkedin.com slash achieve today. I had a very interesting time. I had a boyfriend um, who was um, Pakistani and he, I asked him, I had my, had my period and I asked him to go and buy me some tampons, which he was absolutely so happy to do. Didn't mind at all. I then a few days later asked him if he would go and buy me some tights, and that was an absolute no-no. Right. What's, What's that about? Did they, I was thinking. I okay, maybe perhaps to say, are you worried that they're going to think you're cross-dressing? You know what is it? But it was he was so happy to go and buy tampons. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Is is this your amazing segue into me and my art? Uh, yeah, yeah. You on your tights. But before that, I want to know. Uh, yeah, you and your bloody tights. Um, but I want to know, how is your mother um, with you and generally, but specifically too with your period? Because you grew up in a Orthodox Jewish family. And um, how did that play out when you got your, your period with your mum? Did she talk about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, so the Orthodox Jewish family, I always have to kind of explain this because it's been... Um... You know, Wikipedia is uh, is an odd place, and I think the way yeah, it's described that's exactly where I got
0: it from. <laughs> um, so,
1: yeah, there's there's some odd things about the way, um, mm. mainly male editors mm. of Wikipedia like to edit women's pages, um, and I am not at all religious. I and mm. what that meant growing up in an orthodox Jewish family. Is that it's where you pay your subscription to? In our case, it can mean for others that, that they um, are orthodox, but it was just the uh, if you like the denomination that we ascribe. Okay. To. So the very traditional bit was what I would see in synagogue, but it didn't necessarily mean I'm religious. So okay, okay. yeah. But was your mother religious? No, she, no, no, no. Yeah. She was actually a Refo- she's actually a, what's known as a reformed Jew, and the, the yeah. ones you know letting women be bat mitzvah and all that before anyone else was so uh, not at all. And that we had a very open relationship about this, which. And she was lovely when I got my period, really lovely, very happy for me, celebrated it, all of that, but then did say with this kind of ominous warning, I really hope you're not like me. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, I am so ill every month. And, you know, I'm sorry if that's your lot, but that's been my lot. And I thought, oh, gosh. And the first one was fine. And then the second one, like my period career has never recovered. And I think what was so upsetting is when I was eventually diagnosed with endometriosis stage 2 of 4, it was like the lights went on and out in, in other ways in my mum's face because, A, she had that thing that I can now start to relate to being a, a mum of only a three-year-old, um, but that I didn't help my child get diagnosed. And secondly, um, it I must have had it too. As in, she matched all the symptoms. And I think that's a really powerful and interesting moment and she couldn't do anything about it at that point and and she was she, she was you know post period she was menop- had her menopause mm. but um i think the fact that she had ingested that message that you know women and pain go together like bread and butter and then that was passed to me to just grit your teeth and get on with it uh you i mean there's no choice either obviously once you get the diagnosis there's no cure i should say and they're looking into what even causes it. Uh, But it is genetic. It doesn't always pass down. And I have to say, when I had a boy, when I found out I had a little boy, there was part of me, only part of me, that was relieved. Because I thought, well, he will not have this. You know, Mm. I cannot pass this to him. So it it, it is a bit of a curse for me and has been for her.
0: Yeah, I I have a friend who who has it. And she has suffered so much with it and then... Went to, did IVF and and had a child, you know, which was for her such a miracle. Um, but it's <laughs> okay. Okay, you did IVF, yeah. And would you would you go through that again, or is that it? Do you want to have more children? Well, I, when people ask me that, I'm very. I find it a very interesting question because
1: I can't naturally have more children. So yeah. you're right to say, would I go through IVF again? And the answer is. I don't know because I always say our our luck finally came in when we had IVF because it worked first time. Mm. But I think there's a large thing to be done and hasn't been done. By I mean, some people have talked about it, but even bigger thing to be done about what it's like to work on IVF and what it's like to live. And you go on such a roller coaster. You know, you're doing all these needles. And I remember being on air, you know, on loads of hormones. And I was on the election trail. and. It, it was quite funny, you know, the nurses at the hospital said, you're not doing anything stressful over the next few weeks, Oh yeah, I was like, just doing general election, <laughs> would be great. And I was so convinced it wouldn't work that I remember doing the trigger injection, which is just before you have the embryo transfer. And I literally said to my body, almost as if I was talking to our son, which I then didn't know mm. would even happen. You know, if you don't like stress, don't get on board with me kind of thing, because this is the way I live. Um, and <laughs> I, I think what I'm trying to say is, I did not enjoy the experience, even though I was extremely fortunate with the outcome. And Mm. do I want to go through that again? And the other thing is, I hated Susanna. I hated trying for a baby. Mm. Nobody likes it. But I actually didn't like the person who me. I didn't Mm. like looking around. And I feel I have won the jackpot. And Mm. I have had a child I didn't know I could have. Mm. So Mm. I don't know. And I'm very... I'm very, I'm very anxious is the wrong word, apprehensive about ever going down that road again. And he's only three. So I'm sort of, yeah, but I, guess I
0: guess you don't need It's something that it's, you know, I, I we tried to have a baby for Joe and um, literally we tried for a month and I was, I wasn't pregnant. So I thought, sod this. And I went to the London Gynecological and Fertility Clinic to go and get checked out and I lied and I said I've been trying for three years Um, and sure enough I had a problem I wasn't ovulating properly and so thank god I went I went and I went on is it called colostom no what's it called There's, there's some drug that you take which I think is used for IVF as well and I took that and so you know, so uh, uh, My message to my daughters, or to people who are younger and thinking about getting pregnant, is so just go and get yourself checked out, whether you know you're ready to have a baby or not. But I wrote about this in the book about
1: technology companies because I was fascinated that when Apple, for instance, launched its whole suite of health apps, the what you know they, they didn't have anything about periods. Didn't have a tracker for your period. And I think data we now, have, all the information we now have ourselves in this modern world. The fact women go through their life not knowing if they have any fertility issues or even just gynecological issues because we don't have gynecologists per se in this country. And mm. um, France, they they do. Um, it's like a vital bit of data and information about yourself that you leave to chance. You basically leave it until you've met someone that maybe might want to have a baby with you, and then you're yeah. like, oh, maybe I'll try, and then you try. I mean, one month's quite funny, but well done you on being mm. right. Um, but you know, I, I I think I think it's fascinating that we don't
0: equip ourselves with that information mm. on any level, mm. and for men too. You know, it fertility affects men obviously just as much as as women, so it's a big deal. But anyway, we, that's a far easier thing to check. You know, with, yeah, of course, yeah, figure that out a bit quicker yeah. in some ways, not always, but not always because they don't know how fast or potent those little creatures are you know that that's something that needs to be worked out but um anyway we are digressing so going back to clothes um how when did you sort of first become interested in fashion have you ever been interested in clothing and how you yes work? oh yes
1: i i would say that i have always been interested to try and push it with color and patterns and I remember when there was a huge phase of everyone just wearing black, you know, in Mm. in my teen years. And I thought, I don't want to do that. Um, I want to try here. I mean, obviously I went through some terrible phases, you know, and growing up in Manchester, you know, I'd go to places quite, places like Affleck's Palace and wear awful things like South Park tops. No offence, I love South Park (laughs) still, But, you know, all those big parish, I went through the All Saints thing of the big parachute trousers, the big combats with the tights, you know, terrible things, terrible things. Um, I think as i got a bit older and learned what suited me or what i thought suited me then that became more interesting in a way because it was the development of what made me feel good rather than what i thought looked good so i i've definitely always been interested in it and i've always tried to you know to
0: dress to what i like rather than what i think i should wear so do you dress on your emotions so if you're feeling for example, if you wake up and you're feeling a little bit insecure or vulnerable, will you dress based on your emotions to make you feel better? So in the week, I lay out the clothes the night
1: before because I can't, I have to creep out of the house and I leave, allegedly while everyone's asleep. That's not always the case. Um, and I don't want to wake the three-year-old as I leave the house at 6, 6.15. Um, so the night before, I might think I really want to look you know, I don't know, more smart, smarter or this or that. So, but it's often done in a bit of a bleary mess. And I would say that's the thing since having a child that I miss. I miss the languid pace that one can get dressed at when not having to do it in two seconds to get to the park or get out, you know, just get out because they have to get out, you know. Um, so I, I've lost a bit of that freedom. But when it is still occasionally me and I do occasionally have a moment, I think I do try and think about how I feel yes and I think I'll have things that are fail-safes also just going back to our previous conversation you know I would love to just wear elasticated trousers on the days I'm in pain but I can't mm. um, you know something much comfier. I'd never wear anything tight when I'm on my period you know everything mm. has to be looser
0: and do you so and now we, we can go on to the tights because tights can be very restrictive around your waist you know and you've got from memory You've got quite long legs. So, no, no, if you had short legs, then it'd be a problem because you have to get a size small and then it'd be really tight around your waist. But tights must be an issue when you've got your period. So how do you get around that? Because you never not wear tights. Let,
1: so let's put this in context. I'll say the sentence that needs to be said. I did just mention elasticated trousers, but those are what I would call house outfits. Right. And already I find it really funny that my son will say, get out of your BBC clothes because he's so used to after lockdown seeing me dress in one pair of elasticated trousers around the house with different tops. Uh, I don't own a single pair of trousers that I wear outside of the home, which means, yes, Susanna, I'm either in tights, leggings or occasionally bare legs, but never very often as much as you would like because I'm freezing all the time. Which is when we met originally what I asked you about. what, What do I do with these dresses that require bare legs on the models and we live in England and it's very cold so for me it certainly is um Mm. so tights I do have some comfy ones that have been worn in shall we say Mm. over the years that I gravitate towards and they're in a separate section of my drawer that has the whole I don't know what you could call it a forest of tights there are so many tights that I own and obviously they don't always last very long some of them do if you invest
0: They are. I mean, I don't I see. I'm the opposite of you. I always wear trousers. I so rarely wear skirts now because I think they're kind of quite matronly when you're older. But the the thing that I really gets me and I don't know, and I think we might have discussed this, but it's like if you go, you look at all kind of fashion magazines or, you know, if you're kind of cruising online, not literally all the models, whether it's summer or winter, and in winter and they're wearing a skirt they're wearing it so a nice tweed skirt they're wearing it with bare legs and a pair of fucking open toed sandals how are you supposed to get around that it's like, like, i don't you know wear drives me mad it's a proper
1: problem and i am the reason i wear dresses and skirts is because i don't like how my body looks in trousers you know you you, you dress for what you like about yourself and i do have I actually have a small waist, but I have large hips. Uh, It's a classic, I suppose, hourglass, in inverted commas, and it just, I don't, I haven't found anything that I find looks great, but I also find jeans incredibly uncomfortable around my Mm. stomach. Really uncomfortable, especially with endometriosis. So I didn't know that for years, but I just never liked the feeling of a button across Mm. me. Um, But yes, you're completely right. You know, you see these clothes online, and then they arrive, and you think, well, how do I wear that and I don't know about you you probably do still do this but I am a boot addict so you know I'm always in an ankle boot or a three-quarter uh whatever they're called three-quarter boot and Mm. the 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 bare leg vibe. like how is that going anyway it's it's a nightmare but I've been told by you and others that I can never wear a flesh-colored tie ever never allowed correct
0: no, well, I don't know. There might be, there might be. And if you find them, let me know. Because I my legs are so scarred from kind of falling over and and like running and cracking my knees open. But if you find a pair that look natural, let me know. There must be. I mean, look at what she called um, Kate, uh, the Duchess of... Uh, uh, what's she called? Which one? Kate Middleton. Cambridge. Think of... Um, the Duchess of Cambridge she must wear tights and she looks like she's wearing bare legs so if you're listening you're alright can you tell us what tights you wear yeah others must have suggestions
1: I do need to research this because also flesh colour tights ladder after one or two uses so I do wear them in the studio on television you cannot see them most of the time a tiny bit of my legs showing because I'm freezing mm with a Isn't
0: that strange? I wonder why you have, is it bad circulation? What do you think it is?
1: Sometimes studios are just very cold. They're yeah. quite airy places. I also think with COVID, you know, air cons on a lot, like circulating yeah. the air, everything's on. I think um, it is a sign for some people with endo, and lots of people and women's air. We did do this, why are women colder than men the other day? And I was told women do have literally smaller boilers than men. Um, But everybody who knew anything rang in or wrote in to say, Emma, get your thyroid checked. And I would like to clarify on your podcast, my thyroid is okay. Okay,
0: good. Thank
1: goodness
0: the the thyroid is is in good shape. Hallelujah. So you must have had a magnificent wardrobe malfunction in your time. Nothing
1: as good as yours, which
0: I still adore, um, Mm. with your boobs falling out.
1: I think the one that came to mind when I was trying to think about this in advance, it's not a malfunction, so I don't know if you'll let it, but it was an inadvertent one where on one of my first news nights, we were doing something about um, beef and Brexit. And the team put up huge images behind me of cows and I had what looked like a cow print dress on. So it wasn't cow (laughs) colour. It was mustard. With like black, it was a lovely print, but sadly looked like a cow. And so I fully blended in to the backdrop of the cows around me. And obviously, my whole family and I'm sure other people online were like, What a moody cow. Um, <laughs> and it continued for quite a while. And you know, I was new in the job and I was new, as I was saying, you know, new to thinking about also being fully envisioned and all these things. And
0: honestly, like when I saw the image back, I just thought,
1: Oh my gosh.
0: That is spectacular. That is a wardrobe malfunction because your your clothing let you down badly. Yeah. Okay, it counts. Good. Yeah, it definitely counts. And my love, is your um, comfort blanket a hot water bottle with your endometriosis? What, what what's something that you take around with you? That yes, I do have a lovely hot mm. water bottle covered in
1: fur um, that is 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 armor, definitely. At home, I have taken it in a couple of times to work, but actually, I don't do that that much. I, I think the thing I was thinking: what do I always, always wear? And you're going to laugh at this; it makes me sound about three. I always wear a vest. I've got one on now,
0: actually, a
1: vest. Me yeah. too. I mean, it could be just like a cotton vest top. Yeah, not not like
0: a derringer. I bought it from mm. the vest section. Mm. I, I feel naked without it. Do you wear pajamas in bed? Do you you don't sleep naked? Full yeah, pajamas. Same people who sleep naked explain that how do they or or women who sleep just in like a little slinky how are you not freezing or or not feeling like you need to be a bit more yeah I don't know what it is there's a vulnerability about it I I feel very vulnerable I'm I'm absolutely no reason feel vulnerable vulnerable, but I do it's that that security (laughs) of being covered up Um, Although
1: some, some uh, my other top tip with pajamas is I always buy a size bigger for the bottom, so it's comfier,
0: lasts Yeah, if you can. Yeah, same. And also the jersey fabric, as opposed to one hundred percent caution, because that can ride up and not be very
1: comfortable in
0: one's nether regions. So, or and sometimes if I do wear, sometimes I wear a pair of pants under my pajama bottoms because they so they don't ride up, and that's a good. Tip, tip. So what I'm do you really mean a pair eat. of pants oh, knickers. Knickers. Yeah. Oh, of course you wear knickers in your pyjamas oh really do you wear knickers under your pyjamas yes when you go to bed Susanna you are the odd one here if you think this no shut up that's not true really no that's not true no, <laughs> no. well you're supposed to wear knickers under your pyjamas yeah why Because you're just wearing knickers. You always need a gusset. Is that really? No. That is, I tell you. I taught taught Susanna something. Really? I mean, unless Uh, I've
1: got this completely wrong. I'm I'm
0: 100% going to have to Google this and find out I'm going to have to study. Go and try and find (laughs) more information on this. That is. So there you go. Because I thought I was just being really, I was a bit embarrassed about it. Having to put knickers on under my pyjamas.
1: You know, I don't have, like, the text message console to give me some feedback, here, live yeah. feedback from people <laughs> listening. But um, um, I'm, I'm happy to be on this limb and hope I'm fully... Okay.
0: Okay. So, um, yeah, more later on that. Um, so, Emma, Emma Barnett, with actually one of the best Barnets in broadcasting you do have amazing hair are you a natural blonde or is it dyed within an inch of its life
1: it's dyed I was blonde till I was 13 and then it just went off so it's it was quite hard during lockdown but luckily because I've still got a bit of dirty blonde underneath the roots were not as terrible but Mm. I didn't blow dry for you today I'm sorry it's natural and all fluffy
0: no it looks great mine's you know who cares you do it with your brush. I saw him. yeah, it yeah. They, they, the um, yeah, the twirly thing. Babyless, big hair. I would ruin. Like I would like get it all spun up, and it would just trust me. It's so easy. If I, can, I'm the most uncoordinated person in the world, and I can do it. You, you really will. You, you'll be brilliant at it. So, my darling, if you're going to a big event or you've got a massive, terrifying interview. Is there something that you would wear that's the equivalent of your birthday suit that makes you feel fabulous?
1: I think it will be as simple as the the last dress I bought, as in the newer the thing, the better. As in, if I I wouldn't have bought it if I didn't like it, therefore I could mm-hmm. back it, if you see what okay. I mean. So new- newness means it feels fresh and therefore yeah. I would feel good in it,
0: I hope. That's such a good answer, and you, you're absolutely right. It is the newest thing we bought that we love. And what is the newest thing you bought? I bought a cream dress
1: from Ted Baker the other oh, day. Yeah? Uh, I was like, in, I was in Selfridges, and I was struggling to find anything structured. So I am not good with this billowy. Let's all like live on a farm or be by. I don't know the sea in these yeah. things that have no structure i have you know I have a proper shape uh, and it's a cream dress almost like um like a doily style but very stiff structured mm. over a, a slip that goes in at the waist out a line to the knee and like sleeves gathered at the
0: top very pristine sounds perfect but i'm i'm so with you all those fucking prairie dresses that are out <laughs> that's there that's the word. The prairie dress, little house on the prairie, with the, which only really a six-year-old should be wearing. And they're everywhere. And also, you know, if you do have a proper, you
1: know, if you have a, a very womanly figure, I should say. Mm. A, a, I mean, like, a proper, very str- mm. yeah, but also proper shape, you mm. just end up looking either pregnant in them mm. or very, um, it's just very unflattering.
0: Yeah, all you're wearing, you're a, a nightdress wearer as opposed to a pyjama wearer because it looks like you've called straight out of bed. Very, very annoying. I find it frustrating because I'd love to be able to wear them, but I can't. But Emma, you, you thank you for being so wonderful. And um, I've taken enough of your time. Oh, I don't know I could speak to you for hours. And I really wish you so much luck with the um, period. It's about bloody time. Period. Uh, it's a re- it's a fantastic book and don't be put off by the title because it's it's genuinely interesting and enlightening and it's an entertaining read as well. So really well done on that.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I um I hope I delivered the goods on, on the you See, I don't know. I can't even think prairie dresses. I This is a world where I've got to learn the lingo a little bit better. So it was um it was lovely to think about it, though, and not be
0: defined by it, you know. Mm. now you just stick to your tights and your a-line skirts and you'll be fine love okay and your coral lipstick
1: and you feel no shame about those knickers in your pajamas because you're doing the right thing Susanna
0: thank you you've made my day (laughs) thank you oh Emma thank you so much her brilliant book it's about bloody time period is out next week and can be pre-ordered in the usual places on and offline. Right, before we go, remember you can always drop us a line by emailing help at We're always interested in your thoughts. Knickers or no knickers? In pyjamas? What do you reckon? I still think I'm right about that one. Find us at mywardmal.com, follow us at mywardmal, and we'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe, rate, and review us on your chosen podcast platform. Also, please find our wonderful house band duo at duoguitarmusic.com or at duoguitarmusic on their socials. Anyway, that's it. Thanks so much again to the wonderful Emma and duo, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed.
1: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.